You're listening to episode three of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, HR. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. Of course, Diana, you just got back from Agile 2013. So, uh, and since I wasn't able to go, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about it from your perspective, what you thought some of the highlights were, whether there were any really hot, controversial topics, Mm -hmm. or what was it like? Well, um, I will say that I ran into several people who have been listening to our podcasts and really like them, so that was nice. That's good. That's always great. I'd love to get that feedback and... uh, I, evidently, we are we are very um, effective at uh, you know when people are out on runs and or and they're in the gym or something. You you you'd think that some of that would you know accrue to us, but no, not so much. Um, all that exercise, but um, but so that was really nice. Uh, there, a lot of the things that were going on at the conference um, were continuations from previous years. Um, so there was there was some pretty interesting things that there were some very fun things that were happening in the open jam um, that I observed. I didn't get to participate, but the thing that that stands out from me at, at from this conference, as from many conferences that I go to, was is one conversation mm. that I had mm-hmm. um, outside of sessions, just on our own, and I was talking with. Um, a young man who was telling me about a, a session that uh, he had they had just gone through in a company that he works at for, was working in, and they um, they had been looking at um, how their current direction and strategy was serving them which is a really great thing to do about halfway through the year. Sure. We made some choices early this year. We've done some work. How is that going for us? And um, as a result of the conversation that this group of uh, leaders was having, they actually decided that it would be better for them if they made some adjustments. Mm -hmm. And, And they were able to identify just a handful of, of, uh, strategic kind of things that they needed to be thinking about and applying in their in their business and that it, it they were mutually reinforcing and really made a lot of sense and they were all very excited about it and they had you know worked to get to something like that you know a group has to work pretty hard and and kind of drive through some of their differences of opinion and really get to that place where they they find the thing that they can all support mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're coming from many different parts of an organization and everybody's in leadership roles and has access to all that um, data. And so they were, they were, he was telling me that this group was feeling quite pleased with where they'd gotten and then um, and they said, well, you know, how, how quickly can we get started on this? We, you know, we really have this opportunity to turn things around and really make a lot of progress during, during this year. And 
somebody pointed out that the this new idea was not in alignment with the um, assessment goals that they had all agreed to at the beginning of the year and that HR had set up their uh, reviews around and that if they went forward with this new idea, this new adaptive, resilient idea that at the end of the year when they got to their performance reviews, none of them would get their bonuses because they would not have met the targets that had been set in January. Wow. They would have gone a different direction. And and he said it just took all the air out of the room. And 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 I I asked a couple of questions about, well, so does that mean that you know can't people go to HR and say, "Hey, <laughs> and he said, no, not so much in this company. You know, once HR sets those goals at the beginning of the year, they are in stone and Im- Im- impenetrable or immovable until after that set of reviews gets gets accomplished and the next thing goes, oh, goes forward. And I just thought, well, you know. That's a disaster. That's a disaster. And so much of the time, you know, when we have worked in organizations um, that have moved to um, thinking more adaptively and uh, using team-based structures and those kinds of things, one of the first things we've done is try to enlist HR to un- understand their role in it and, you know, how compensation schemes might need to be adjusted or, you know, and and get them on our side Mm -hmm. and it just made me aware this conversation made me aware of I think how often that critical piece of enlisting some of these staff roles Mm -hmm. that have such an impact on policies and procedures and organizations HR facilities finance you know those folks need to be on board with the change. You can't wait to decide we're going to do things differently and then expect them to just run up and get on board without right. any context. Well, but I, so I was, you know, there were a couple of things going on for me there. One was, gosh, I wish they had thought about enlisting the HR folks a little earlier. Mm-hmm. And the other was, but still, HR needs to be a little more flexible than that Mm -hmm. if they really are going to serve the organizations they're in in this day and age. And I I wished you were there at the time, actually, because I know you have a perspective on human resources that, having worked in it, that I don't have. And I thought, I wonder if Sharon would have (laughs) some different different to offer here other than, what's wrong with these people? (laughs) Which is kind of where I went. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I think it's really a dilemma because, you know, there's been a lot written and there have been a lot of people who've thought about in the last number of years the idea of HR as a strategic partner. Um, And uh, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But HR typically has been set up in the past um, and has been staffed by people who saw it as their role to protect the organization. And so rather than being proactive and in essence 
um, supporting the kind of flexibility and agility that organizations need. They have, they've typically in the past been in the role of sort of the big guy compliance folks. Um, these are the rules and regulations, these are the policies and procedures. Um, mm -hmm. If we do these things and people fill out these forms and we um, make sure that nobody violates these rules about mm -hmm. wages and hours, blah, 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 we'll keep everybody out of trouble and that's our job. Well, that's true. That is, HR has that compliance function and they have to do that. But <laughs> there's another whole set of functions That's right. that support the strategic um, role of HR that people need to be much more proactive about doing. So, I mean, that's where organization development work comes in. Um, that's where um, leadership development comes in. I mean, those are the kinds of things that need to support the business units of an organization to do what the business units need to get done. Right. And of course you need a performance, some kind of performance evaluation system. But should it be set in stone and not changeable ever during the year? Well, and should I it only not. happen annually? Right. I think uh, not. That yeah. makes no sense to me. Right. Um, but to really achieve that and to for people to wrap their heads around that, is mm, you know easier said than done yeah and and you know where was it somebody sent me an email last week where they were talking about a redesign in an organization and they were saying of course we can't have people sitting the way we want them to sit because the facilities people say that that won't work because that means we have to change you know where the yeah. computer hookups are located blah 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 and it's too expensive yeah. well what is the cost of not doing that right I mean people people always talk about you know it's too expensive to do this or it's too expensive to do that and I mean, I want to say, well, yeah, what's the cost of not doing yeah. it? That actually, one of the sessions that I went to, and it's just coming back to me because I think it was on the very first day, mm -hmm. so, you know, or the second day, um, that I really did enjoy was a session that called Productive Workspaces, mm -hmm. which was given by um, uh, this guy, Jorgen Hesselberg. And his, uh, who used to be at uh, Nokia, but has now moved on to another company. And um, a woman, oh, I wish I could remember her whole name, Rochelle, uh, who is with an architectural design firm. And it was a very interesting uh, session because he talked about the changes that they had made at Nokia and why they had made them and how they made them. And she talked about kind of what architectural design is learning about what really supports collaborative work mm. and the new and the new generation of of people coming into um working in organizations and what they expect and what helps them work and what gets in their way mm -hmm. and it was fascinating and she of course had exa he had examples 
from his organization, she had examples of, from a lot of different organizations about all the different uh, different things that they have learned need to be supported in a workspace. Can you remember what any of those uh, were? Well, she talked about, oh, there was one that was four, um, four elements. There was, um, oh, I remember, it was focus, collaboration, community, and social. Mm. And that they have discovered that those are like the four primary things people are looking for in workspaces. And people spend most of their time in focus or collaboration. So collaboration was meaning like meetings and things, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they, so it, to a very great extent for a long time, space designers m put the most attention on making sure they had focus space and collaboration space. So your desk and the meeting room. Meeting right? room, yeah. But what they discovered is that though people spend far less percentage-wise on this on community and and social that without those two the other two fell apart interesting and that they really needed to have workspaces that that addressed all of them and social was places to bring people from outside the company mm -hmm. in or to just meet casually or to do those kinds mm -hmm. of things and and community had to do with um kind of communal use like a, a shared library or a shared mm -hmm. you know that everyone had access to and it was really quite a fascinating a fascinating talk but it also was making me think about yeah facilities that's another one of these absolutely you know corporate functions and and there's data just like there's data out there now that says perf annual performance reviews there is there is no there has been no study that has supported that they have any value. They don't have right. any effect on performance, right. and they, you know, and they don't give anything back to the organization for the enormous amounts of time that they take right. up. And the return on investment there right. is really low. Right. One to one feedback from a manager right. to a, to one of his reports or her reports. There's a lot of value there, and that that should happen very frequently. often, frequently, frequently through Absolutely. the year, but not tied to bonuses, not tied to compensation, right. just because people right. need feedback, right? Well, the same thing is true with this facilities piece, that there is plenty of research out there now. People have been doing the studies about what do we really need in a good workspace that's going to really give a return in terms of performance by how it's set up, and yet facilities still wants cube farms and and locked down uh, electrical runs that can't right. that aren't accessible and and yet you know and both are flying in the face of all of the data that's out there right right and <laughs> and, and yeah you know but 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 where that is has come a long way yeah you know from when I started out life where I mean you know, there wasn't even a concept then right. of, of, of shared space or whatever. Right. But, but having said that, you know, I wonder what the newer, new generation of people coming up, um, you know, are, are they being exposed to the kind of information, for instance, that this woman 
that yeah. her firm is uncovering yeah. because it it's all part of um, a different way of thinking about organizations and right now we're still we still have enough of the old and there are enough of the people around mm -hmm. who are making the decisions who were brought up in the right. old way that it must feel monumental to really yeah. make the kind of shift that it would take to to think about um you know, fixture placement being different. I, I was thinking about that in terms yeah. of even my my house the other day. I was like, why is the plug over here? You know, this doesn't really work for me anymore. What I want is the, the you know, the outlet over there. Right. Do I really have to call an electrician and have, uh -huh, isn't yeah. there some more modular way or flexible way of doing this so that just like um, you know a, a, an office space can be reconfigured right. almost at will is what is what you and I are imagining yeah. I want my office space at home to be able to be reconfigured the same mm -hmm. way yeah. and it's just Annoying that it's not. And I can't believe that the technology is not there. Yeah. I don't think it's an issue of technology. Yeah. I think it's... Right. Well, it's like... <laughs> one of the favorite quotes that came out of this conference for me, just because I think it's hilarious, mm -hmm. not because I think it's deep or anything, <laughs> but one of the things that she said, she was talking about these new kind of workspaces and how they really do need to accommodate now more for... Um, uh, adjustable desks mm -hmm. and um, you mean height adjustable height, adjust, height adjustable desks and well and adjustable in some other ways as well you know where they can where they can be brought together or taken apart or, you know so that people can work together at two desks that are yeah. and then or move them apart and um, and she said you know um, we you know we really have to start supplying these these adjust, height adjustable desks because you know, sitting is the new smoking. <laughs> yeah. I thought was just hysterical. Um, but she's got a point there. She's got, well, I mean, what we, what we know now is that people need the opportunity right. for movement. Right. Not that standing all day isn't the right answer either, because right. plenty of people have problems right. from being in manufacturing settings and things like that, from being forced to do that. And they've learned that or the ergonomics of that don't really make sense. But being able to stand or sit at will and how you know at, at a time and a place and for a task right that it's appropriate is that same kind of thing. I mean, I love my desk that I can crank up and down yeah. now. And uh but I just thought that was so funny. Sitting is the new smoking. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. You wouldn't sit all day anymore because it's not good for you. Right. 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 And and I do think that um I mean, you know, as a person of a certain age, mm -hmm. um I hate to think that the only way that progress is going to go forward is for everybody of my age to Be retire gone. and right. get out. Right. Um but I think there's in some ways it's if you can't if you can't have the mental resilience and the the or the 
the emotional resilience to be able to see that the world is moving on and that mm-hmm. there are some adjustments that need. And I know plenty of people who are in their late 40s and 50s and 60s who really are those resilient kind of people. Right. Um, that, you know, maybe it is time for you to retire if you're so stuck in one way of thinking. Mm-hmm that uh, you need to get out of the way and let other mm-hmm. folks in. That's probably the most terrible thing I will have said in this entire <laughs> year in this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I, I, I just hate to think that the only way that these kinds of uh, changes that really do affect people's quality of work life mm-hmm. and their perf- quality of performance, that the only way to accomplish them is attrition. Well, yeah, and I I have, um, you know, for a long time, you know, felt, um, I guess the word might be a little disappointed, that HR offices have been so slow mm-hmm. to change because I knew that HR had to function differently 30 years ago. That was obvious to me then. Um, that and it's not because I'm brilliant. It's because right. if you were if you had any brains at all and you were sitting inside an HR office, you had to see that things were changing and that HR's stance as a protector and defender of the status quo was counterproductive, really, in the long run. Um, but boy, oh boy. I have not seen very many HR organizations that I would be um, very excited about being part of. Mm-hmm. Um, they just haven't really figured it out. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, we talked earlier about the protecting the company in terms of compliance mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things. And, and I, you know, as long as we have the government we have and some of the other right. issues we have, those are going to be important things to do. And and if you really want to protect the health of the company, maybe you need to be doing that and looking for ways that you can support exactly the That's what adaptability I'm right. and the resilience of the company right. to thrive when things are changing and be able to support the kind of changes that go along it's always um uh, puzzled me a little bit that so many organizations have their organization development in their in hr so i can't figure out how those two things could work together if both sides are you know, well, it could. Uh, yeah. It could if if you had the compliance people kind of over here, right? And and they do what they do. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with reporting. Um, I mean, you have to report right. to the government. You know, the numbers of uh, women and minorities in right. certain categories. Right. Okay, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But the people who do that are different than, or should be different yeah. than, the people that say, okay, if these are the numbers and we're not happy with the numbers, right. what do we need to do in a more proactive right. organization development growth kind of way right. to change the, the, change the numbers? Yeah. Um, so you could theoretically 
have those two arms working together, but then they have to be led by someone who understands that they are not, you know, they're not um, um, two separate entities, that they're two, that the data collection and yeah. reporting stuff tells you it's just data. It tells you where you are and it has some implications. But, and then something has to be done with that. Yeah. And you staff those with different kinds of people. Right. Because the people that collect the data and send that off to the feds or whatever are very different than the people on the other side of the organization. So it, it's almost more problematic when the organization development people are not attached to HR at yeah. all and they're off somewhere else in the organization and there's like no connection well, at all. I mean, well, that doesn't work any either. Part, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I would, um, I would put forward that whenever any parts of the organization are disconnected from any other parts yeah, of the organization, the organization has to function as a flexible network. Yeah. If it's going to, if it's going to thrive and survive in, in today's world. Right. And so, yeah, knowing how to weave all of that network together and, and find out how the, how the interactions need to, need to happen bef between all the different parts and, and where and when you know, each each set of connectors can work to usefully work together on something, and when they're you know off doing something with other parts, it's. I, I mean, I think that's that's an interesting uh, leadership problem. I was also thinking when you were talking about the the compliance and and OD, and I was thinking about compensation and benefits and all those other different parts. Mm -hmm. um, it made me think about. Uh, Barry Johnson and his ideas of you know managing paradoxes mm -hmm. and how you you know you cannot manage that kind of paradox at the level at which it's happening mm -hmm. that you have to be able to take it up at a level of abstraction right. Right. and and kind of see how they are a part of the same system before you can help them work together and I think that's it's, that's a huge um, piece of leadership function. Yeah, it is, and and you know, it, it's interesting to me that I I had when I was there, I had a lot of issues with the way the United Airlines mm -hmm. um, HR system was run. But I will say, they actually managed that pretty well, and the way they did that was an was an informal matrix, but it worked, mm -hmm. so that things like comp and benefits. There was a headquarters office staff that set policy, and they did the research, and they said, okay, for this kind of a job, what should it get paid? What are the comparables? You know, are we running into too much compression where there's not enough, mm -hmm. you know, in the band, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. then, there were, then there were people that served each of the divisions or, and regions who administered that. Mm -hmm. But they had a dotted line relationship. I mean, they were they reported to the divisions, but they had a dotted line relationship with that compensation and benefits staff. So they got briefings. They were brought in to consult, um, to you know help the people at the headquarters staff have a better feel for what was happening out in the field. Um, 
So they were like internal consultants, mm -hmm. you know, working with those folks. And then they administered the comp and benefits program out. But it really worked well because their technical expertise was constantly being developed and nurtured by the headquarters experts in that function. But their, their division, their, their loyalty was to the division and to serving the needs of the division. So when there was a policy that wasn't working at the division level, they could say, this is not doing what we thought it would do. Yeah. You know, or this is getting in the division's way. They want to do X, but our policy says Y. We need to change the policy because it's not functioning. It's not functioning, yeah. and our job is to support the divisions. We're the divisions advocate in this arena. That was true of um, the um, diversity program. It was the exact same model. Because I was running the diversity program, I could make policy, but I didn't wasn't out in the field. So there were people out there in the field who worked in the division or the field offices. But when it came to diversity issues, their expert was me and they were my resource. We used that model very well. And it was clearly a, a matrix, but it wasn't official. Yeah. But everybody knew it worked right. that way. Yeah. I don't get why that's so hard. Yeah. People seem to think that that kind of a, a of a model um, is very difficult to implement. Oh, well, I I I have a suspicion. Yes. Which is. Not very generous interpretation, I guess. <laughs> but I think it has a lot to do with when you've got that kind of a structure, it's really hard to figure out who to blame if something goes wrong. Whereas very strict hierarchical silos, the blame becomes much easier. Well, sure. And but there and that I mean that dynamic is so alive in so many organizations that it, it's almost becomes, it's more important to know who to blame than to figure out how to make things go well. And and that just, I don't know, it, it's, it makes me sad. It <laughs> yeah. makes me sad when I run up against that. But yeah. I see that going on, happening in organizations. And and I would, you know, my, my, uh, an idea I would have about mm -hmm. why more organizations wouldn't, adopt mm -hmm. what you what you were suggesting worked very well at united mm -hmm. is it possibly it's because it's really hard to know who to blame in that kind of situation should something go wrong is it them is it you mm -hmm. is it the mm -hmm. you know the next guy mm -hmm. over how do you know well and in reality of course blame is never helpful of course and and is the last thing you should be looking for when something goes wrong. What a waste. Let's get it fixed and moving forward. Let's not spend a lot of time with that. But, but it, and, you know, for whatever reason, that, that kind of blame and punishment is so alive in, in the least U.S. business culture and I think a lot of business cultures. Which is also, it takes us back also to the why have annual performance <laughs> 
reviews. <laughs> so this is this conversation is starting to depress me. Yeah, well, maybe we, can't we should. Have that. <laughs> I think maybe we should. <laughs> can't have that. Let this one go and see if any of our our listeners have better ideas than uh, than we've seen. And and I would love to hear stories of great examples of. HR and facilities. I mean, that's why I so loved Jorgen and, and Rochelle's mm -hmm. presentation because mm -hmm. it was this wonderful example of uh, facilities and and the development organization working very closely together to get a great result. Mm -hmm. And so any stories like that that people have about HR or um, facilities or finance or any of those central kind of corporate structures or uh, functions working really well with the, the more operational folks and to really make a difference. I would love to hear those stories. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I hope people okay. will share them with us. Okay. Please leave a comment on our blog or email us info at futureworksconsulting.com. This has been episode three of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.